Ladies, here is Lenore Zan, a.k.a. Rogue. It's Cal Dodd here, voice of Wolverine from X-Men, the animated series, Bub. I want you to join me at The Uncanny Experience, the ultimate destination for X-Men fans just like you. Where you will become a mutant student at Xavier's. And be able to explore the school campus, shop the vendor hall, and meet the creators and stars of the X-Men universe. There'll be panels, parties, immersive activities all throughout the historic mansion. Whether you're a fan of the comics or the movies or the animated series, you'll find something to love. This is Chris Claremont. I'm looking forward to seeing you all at the Uncanny Experience. It's going to be one hell of a ride, Bob. I bet it will be uncanny. Get your tickets now, sugar, at the uncannyexperience.com. Bum bum bottom, 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 You are now in session with the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. I'm Lisa Gullickson. I'm Brad Gullickson. And each month we evaluate a different iconic romance within the four color realm. In this episode, we're going to be Transformers when we grow up in our creator corner with iconic cartoonist Jean Luen Yang talking about American born Chinese. Yeah, this is so exciting. Last year, we went to Baltimore Comic Con and we had a chance to meet Gene in person for the first time. And he was so nice. He was crazy nice. And we were so. What's the word? Fanish. Fanish. Fawning. Yes. Fawning, and you know, we we brought like our entire Gene Lu and Yang shelf from our love nest to his table. We we're like, sign all of these. <laughs> sign all of these for Brad and Lisa. We and, need all of these signed immediately. And we had a nice conversation. Yeah. And we we talked a lot about dragon hoops at Baltimore Comic Con and we told him about our podcast. We we're like, you should come on sometime. He's like, Yeah, that sounds wonderful. And then, you know, time goes by. We walked around. We walked away going like, that's never going to happen. What a nice conversation. Right, right, right. And then the Disney Plus American-born Chinese adaptation happened. And there was an opportunity to reach out to Disney Plus. And they, being as great as they are, hooked us up with Gene Lu and Yang. And, yeah, I mean, this is... This is a dream come true. This is another one of those pinch me conversations that we have here on Comic Book Couples Counseling. And, you know, it's another one of those conversations where Brad and Lisa try to contain our fanish nature and fail. It used to be when we would do interviews, I would sit off screen because I feel very self-conscious and distracted when I'm on video for some reason, like sure. I'm like one of those, like I can't think with people like <laughs> looking at me. And but, so we would sit across from each other and they would just stare at Brad and then I would chime in with my questions from off And they would have to, to figure out when it was Lisa's turn to talk based on me like turning left and they would watch my head direction. I have no idea what happened on the screen. Yeah, that's 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 uh, usually how it went. There was a lot of elaborate um, gesturing and, and stuff. And you liked it for a while that way, but then I think you also started to like feel the loss of not letting the 
the cartoonist see you? No, I just got tired of like explaining it. Oh, okay. Like where it does seem like really awkward. Like, I, and I, I imagine it put you in a, like a weird position where you're like, look at my head. You may not look at my wife. You know what I mean? Just comes across as really strange. So finally I was just like, I should just get over myself and just sit on screen, which I do now. Um, but it messed up how we communicate taking turns. Because before, right. we right. would just point, or I would point, or Brad would point yeah. under the table, yeah. but we can't do that anymore. Right, when we're both looking at the creator, we we need a new system. And so we do an under the table system. Yeah, yeah, which sounds filthy <laughs> or lucrative. And the system is this. Okay. Okay, Lisa's like... Let's see if Brad knows the system. Exactly. So if I tap Lisa twice on mm -hmm. the knee, that means I would like to talk. But Lisa must respond. She must receive the double tap to, to communicate to me that she understands that it's my turn next. So if I double tap her knee, she then pushes on my knee I with one with finger. I point with one finger at him like, yes, you go. And that means, okay... Brad's going next. Right. And that, that it's a great system when the two people are behaving with that system in mind. Uh-huh. But then you have conversations like this one where one of us or both of us are extremely excited to chat and we're a little nervous. We have a little anxious energy that we're bringing into the conversation. And that anxious energy sometimes blocks the signaling. <laughs> and I will get a double tap and I I will ignore the double tap. Yeah, yeah. Not and, on purpose necessarily. And we do have an I'm going to continue what I'm talking about gesture. Right, you like twirl your index finger in a circular motion. You roll motion. it forward. You roll it forward. So this means, so even now our uh, gestures are, okay. okay, Brad. So like the cyclone motion cyclone is wrap it is up. Cyclone is wrap it up. Okay. Uh, Rolling the, over the top of itself. Like a camera reel. Yeah, like a projector is, reel. is I'm going to keep going. Okay. I have a follow-up yeah, yeah, question yeah, yeah, yeah. to what yeah, I just I, said. I still best that. Um, but sometimes it feels uh -huh. Uh -huh. like only one person is following the system. Yes. And the other, one person is obliged to use the system and one person gets to do whatever the F they and, want. And I think our listeners already know <laughs> who the problem child is. The and it, only child. And it is the only child. It is me. And there is a certain point in this conversation with Gene where Lisa is really trying to tap in. And I swear, I just don't even know. You're <laughs> like, hyper-focused well, on, on and, the conversation. And maybe we can talk about when that moment is in the outro. Sure. A after we, after our listeners hear the whole chat, maybe our listeners will be astute enough to find the point where Brad just keeps going. <laughs> you will just hear a barrel rolling <laughs> over a spouse, and that spouse is me. But we didn't really get mad about it no, this time around. No, of course not. We have gotten mad about the signal things in the past. Right. Uh, and we have to, like, re-get uh, on the same page. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, fine. Yeah. But after this conversation, I think we were both pretty darn high on the chat mm -hmm. uh, that, we, that we were like, Brad, well, we, I'm going to speak for Lisa. Lisa's like, Brad, you, you know, you know, you did wrong. And I was like, uh, did I? And you're like, yeah, at this point. And I was like, oh, did you actually want to talk? And you're like, yeah, of course I wanted to continue that conversation. Yeah, yeah. Well, because uh, I come in with an agenda. Yeah, you have an agenda. I ask only leading questions. But let's not spoil that agenda until after everyone hears the conversation with Gene. Okay, sure. 
I hope everyone listening to this episode has already read American Born Chinese. It's a masterpiece, right? It came out in 2006 from First Second Books. Prior to that, Gene was actually publishing it as mini-comics. I think it was the first First Second Book. Yes, and that unto itself would be a heck of a legacy. First Second Books, that's like one of our best publishers out there. It's such a brand. They have cornered the market on really earnest YA books. And the book would go on to sweep the literary scene, right? Not mm -hmm. just the comic book scene. I think it was the first graphic novel that was actually nominated for a National Book Award. It took home the Eisner that year. Publishers Weekly named it the best graphic album of the year. It would make lists that you would see in Time Magazine. It's just a testament to like, make your art Tell your truth with zero expectations. Just and do your thing. Gene is very proud, and we talk about it a little bit in this conversation, but he's very proud that this is a book that you will find in the classroom, mm -hmm. right? This is an all-ages comic. I think you can hand it to anyone, and they can pull something out of it to, and apply it to themselves. I'm sure that's, like, super affirming. Like, hey, my book is so good, it's educational, Oh, that doesn't sound good. That doesn't sound like a compliment, but like educational in like a really beautiful and good way. But it's that whole thing of specificity is the key to universality, mm. right? And Gene Luen Yang would then just drill down into that concept with every book that he would do afterward. I think the first actual Gene Luen Yang book we read was... Boxer Saints, which yes. we did as part of our book club, and yeah. everybody loved yeah. it. One of our most successful board. book clubs. That and Black Sad, the uh, European graphic novel, also yeah. was like everybody in that group. And it was a finicky group. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> they didn't like many things. So to get that whole group to agree on Boxer Saints was like a huge deal. And his book Dragon Hoops is now like a perennial absolute. read, like absolute fave. That came out in like 2022. 2020? Uh, 2020? Yes, it was 2020. I checked it. If you are a teacher or a student mentor, or if you work with kids in any capacity, I cannot recommend Dragon Hoops more because it's all about how you can be inspired by young people. He reminds us that every time a student steps on the basketball court or steps up to do their big speech or steps out to do their solo in the school play. They're doing something terrifying. They're doing something so scary and they do it anyway. Like young people are out there putting themselves out there with zero experience. They've barely been on this planet and they're willing to be so vulnerable. Like, and it, and it reminds us as crotchety old people, yeah, I can put myself out there too. I, I can be brave too. And it does the thing that American Born Chinese does where it layers multiple narrative tiers and brings them together. Mm -hmm. And Dragon Hoops telling the story of basketball, a story that Brad does not care about. Suddenly I am riveted in its history. Like I never thought a book could get me this excited about basketball. And I wanted my dad to read it. That was a book that I brought to my dad for Father's Day. I was like, you gotta read Dragon Hoops. And hopefully you'll get to it. <laughs> like he's never done before with any comics I've ever given him. Happy Father's Day, Greg. Crack a book open, won't you? <laughs> but we're here to talk about American Born Chinese and specifically how it was adapted into the Disney Plus series, which we both loved. And we were 
kind of shocked at how good the series was. It was totally uplifting. It was faithful to the original comic in all of the right ways. Yeah, all of the right ways, because it wasn't a direct adaptation. Mm -hmm. There are some liberties taken, and the liberties are interesting. Yeah. You know, they yeah. don't degrade from the original work. They don't even necessarily, like, uplift the original work. It just tweaks it just enough that it's its own thing. Thing. Like, I love where this conversation goes when talking about, okay, when he was making American Born Chinese, it was like this intensely personal thing where he was only representing himself and his experience. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, by making it a Disney Plus show, it's representative of a much broader yes. spectrum of yes. people. Yes. yes. And so there were certain elements that in the original comic I connected to so much because of like my personal experience that just couldn't be translated. You're wavering into your agenda, Lisa. Oh, oh yeah. And we're not going to talk about your agenda just yet. <laughs> uh, the, the listeners will have to see how that uh, unfolds in the conversation with Gene. You know, what is so cool about American Born Chinese is that when you're reading it initially, you're reading three separate stories. Right. You're reading Jin Wang's story, this kid who just wants to be an all-American boy in high school, doesn't want to deal with being different or being perceived different by the cool kids. Then we have the story of the Monkey King, uh, an adaptation of the classic Journey to the West character that's been, you know, adapted into numerous, endless movies and novels and stories. And then there's the third story that's basically an 80s sitcom featuring this race caricature and at the very end of the book those three tales kind of are woven together right in kind of like a lock stock and two smoking yes. barrels kind yes. of way where you're like i didn't know this was one story whereas american born chinese the disney plus series weaves them all together almost immediately mm -hmm. from the first episode in a very clever and fresh way yeah so i would recommend if, for whatever reason, you have not read American Born Chinese yet, you need to do so before listening to this conversation. And, you know, consider getting a subscription to Disney Plus for American Born Chinese. Find one of those free trials. It's worth it. It's my mm -hmm. favorite thing on the service right now. Yes. And that's saying something for this diehard Marvel zombie. Yeah, it's a truly beautiful show. And if you've already watched the show, you can still read the book. It's different. It's a different book. And it's kind of rad how they're in conversation with mm. each other. So, yeah, uh, that's all the setup we've got for this Gene Lu and Yang conversation. Uh, again, keep your ears peeled for when our <laughs> under the table system breaks down. And then Lisa and I will talk about it after the conversation in the outro and talk about Lisa's agenda. Ooh, Ooh. dark and scary. Dark and scary. <laughs> but let's get G. Lu and Yang into the love nest and get this show on the road. Welcome to Comic Book Couples Counseling, Gene. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me, Brad and oh, Lisa. Great to be here. so excited. Obviously, we're excited. I'm already talking over the guest. <laughs> uh, we're so happy to be talking American-born Chinese. We've been huge fans of your work for a long time. Uh, the last time we saw you was at New York Comic Con, just before the show came out. And you were talking about... Well, you were reflecting basically on the cartoonist that made American-born Chinese versus the cartoonist who is watching American-born Chinese 
come to fruition on Disney Plus. What is it like to look back in time to that younger self? Do you recognize that person still? <laughs> I I don't I mean I do. I do. Definitely I do, but I I am in a very different place right now, right? Uh not just with my career but also with my family. Like when I began American Born Chinese, I think I was in my late 20s. Um I wasn't married. I um, was working as a full-time high school teacher. I didn't have any kids. And now I'm married. We have four kids. My oldest is 19, uh, which is closer. He's like, he's closer to the age that I was when I started American Born Chinese than I am now. It's mm -hmm. just so weird, you know? Um, uh, and And I think if you had told me back then that we would be here now, I would not have believed you. It's just um, been a really strange and stunning ride. I can only imagine. I, I I do wonder if you were writing and creating American Born Chinese today, how it would be different. Yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, that's what the show is. You know, the, the show very early on, we made the decision to shift the time period of the story. So in the book, the book takes place vaguely in the 80s and 90s which was when i was growing up and the show is taking place right now it's in the 2020s it's in the present day the conversation around what it means to be an asian american to be a chinese american has shifted so the the differences between the book and the the show um are about that you know we're hoping actually that the gap between the two is interesting i actually read american boy and chinese for the third time today rereading it after having seen the show the story is so much about stories and how stories shape us i think about the scene where jin tells the herbalist i'm going to be a transformer when i grow up i'm going to be this individual that is so cool that disguises itself in something that's so ordinary that's like a truck and it makes me think about how many stories it takes to get to the truth of who we are as people mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and i was wondering when when did that concept click with you where it's like stories are the journey to ourselves yeah, I mean, I think most of us who are comic book fans, we know this implicitly, even when we start, um, you know, I, I started collecting comics when I was in the fifth grade. And I don't think I could have articulated it back then, but I was definitely reading uh, in part to try to figure out myself. Uh, and in superhero stories specifically, there's this dynamic of the secret identity where you're actually negotiating sometimes between two different names. Like in Superman's case, he's negotiating between two different cultures, right? He's American, but he's also Kryptonian. And he's trying to figure out how all of this stuff meshes. So when I was a kid, I think as a Chinese American, as somebody who also had two different cultures to, to try to mesh together, it made sense to me, even if I couldn't tell you why it made sense to me. Mm -hmm. Can you recall specific stories that you would consider touchstones for finding the truth of who you are? Well, you know, okay, so so Superman um, was in the very first comic that I bought. Uh, I It was DC Comics Presents number 57, starring Superman and the Atomic Knights. He, nice. uh, it, so that, that book was really freaky because it was about the atomic war. <laughs> but it also introduced me to this idea that you know, you could tell stories by drawing on paper. And I started making comics pretty quickly after that. But I remember discovering Usagi Ojimbo at some point and um, really falling in love with that book. 
Uh, Stan Sakai, I think, um, I think what what distinguished him from um, so he came out of that like turtles explosion, right? Like yeah. the the black and white turtles explosion. And most of the books from that era have died. The reason why his his creation survives to this day is because it's authentic, meaning like uh, it comes out of who he is, but it also like he uh, he put in a lot of research into that book before like there was even an internet, you know, like when yep. research was really, really difficult, he put in a ton of research into that book and you can kind of feel it when you're reading it. You can feel that the storyteller knows what they're talking about, that it's it's connected to him personally and that he's also done his homework. Um, so those are two that come to mind, the, the very yep. first Superman comic and, and, and Usagi Ojimbo. We're actually surrounded by Usagi Ojimbo art. We have original oh, really? Stan Sakai art over here. Wow. We've got some posters here. We're massive fans of Stan's and Stan's come on the show oh, okay. uh, to, to, to talk. Uh, to drop some names. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> when you meet a Stan Sakai fan, you gotta connect yeah. as Stan Sakai fans. Yeah, I feel like most of us are Stan Sakai fans though. I like, hope If you've so. read comics to any degree, you yeah, you're probably a Stan Sakai fan. I read when you were, when the idea of adapting American-born Chinese was brought up to you, you said, as long as the spine of the story is there. Uh -huh. And I want you to describe what is the spine of a story? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say it's the, I, I would say you, like, however you describe it in a sentence. Mm -hmm. So for American-born Chinese, it's uh, a Chinese-American kid who is ashamed of parts of himself that he can't change, becomes friends with a kid that he thinks of as symbolic of all of those parts. But that kid turns out to be uh, a Chinese monkey god, you know, mm -hmm. way cooler than he was expecting. <laughs> so the the relationship between Jin and Wei Chen in both the book and in the show, um, it's symbolic of Jin's own relationship with his cultural heritage. And in the beginning, he's embarrassed. And then it's revealed that Wei Chen is um, like much bigger and and much more interesting than he initially seemed. I, I think that was my own experience with my own heritage growing up. You know, I, I did go through a period of my childhood where I was really embarrassed. Uh, and that included being embarrassed of these kids at school that, you know, we used to make fun of as the FOBs, as, as the fresh off the boats. But as I got older and as I um, came to learn more about my own cultural heritage, I realized it's really rich, it's really deep, and it's really interesting. You know, for us, reading comics is really about having a conversation with yourself. You know, you dive into the book and you find yourself somewhere within those pages. And mm -hmm. you we pull so many lessons out of the act of reading comics. And I know when you were creating American Born Chinese, you were working out all these feelings that you'd had. But it's mm -hmm. not like creating that comic exercises those thoughts i would also think that it continues beyond putting that comic book out there yeah yeah sure sure i i mean i i think that was a, like a lot of us who do comics maybe stories in general it's sort of a form of self-therapy right and and i think that was definitely true for me with american-born chinese specifically there's this character this cousin character who is the embodiment of all of these negative asian and asian american stereotypes that i grew up with and putting him on paper being able to look at them in a contained in a panel. I think there was something very healing about that. I have this scene in the book where I actually take off his head. Uh, and that was very cathartic to draw. But I would say that one of the um, ways in which I'm lucky 
is that American-born Chinese has been adopted in these school settings. And ever since the book came out, I've gotten the opportunity to go to these different schools and libraries and universities and, and talk to folks, talk to young people about the themes of the book. Um, a lot of times they'll come up to me afterwards and they'll talk about how the emotions of the book resonate with them. Many of these kids are immigrants, kids, you know, they're the children of immigrants. Um, more often than not, their parents are not from the same place that my parents are from, like their parents will be from Poland or from Nigeria or from Russia or from the Philippines. But even though the, the details are different, the underlying emotions are the same. So I think um, even as an author, you know, getting to connect with these young readers, in some ways, that's part of the, the healing process continuing for me, I think. You've referred to American-born Chinese being taken from the comic that you made sitting by yourself and self-publishing to being a, a television show. Is it being like, it was a me story and now it's a, an us story. But yeah. I think the, like the us-ness starts so much sooner than that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I, I think, uh, I think comic book people, like we kind of know this already. I, I actually think that in a lot of ways, the rest of media has kind of gotten comic bookified. We've mm -hmm. always had this culture of, creators and readers interacting right through the letter pages in the back of of issues and then uh and then through comic conventions uh nowadays i think all media is like that like you can you can try to engage with actors and directors and screenwriters via social media but within comics that that divide between who the creators are and who the readers are has always been very permeable uh even you know back in the day like in the 1970s you could go to you could go to San Diego Comic-Con and you might be able to shake like Stan Lee and Jack Kirby's hand. That's just like right. stunning, Wild. right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think um, the usness, um, especially because it began as a graphic novel, probably started earlier. What's so strange, though, about being a contemporary comic book head uh, in a, a, a cultural landscape that is picking so many ideas from the comics medium is that often what's missed is the power of the sequential storytelling and mm -hmm. what cannot be translated into live action. And mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. about your book, Dragon Hoops, and you have these moments, and I don't want to spoil this moment in any way, but you have these moments where your character, you, <laughs> is stepping onto a court or placing their fingers onto a keypad and you write, you know, tap, and, you know, you write the word step. That is something that you could approximate in live action, but I feel like the power of that is in the sequential storytelling. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I am a comics head. I think it's true of every medium. Every medium has strengths and weaknesses. Uh, and, and I think, uh, I think comics has very, very particular strengths that I'm really in love with, you know, that I, as as both a reader and as a storyteller. Uh, something that we talked about with American Born Chinese's show was that when, when we made the leap from the page to the screen, that each form of the story has to take advantage of the strengths in the uh, of that medium, right? Like, um, more often than not, I think straight adaptations don't work for me because... Uh, it feels like the creators aren't necessarily factoring that in, how different media are, are more appropriate for different kinds of storytelling. 
I love when you're talking humbly about the the cartooning that you do. You say like a lot of your style has come from what you feel are your limitations. Okay, I really have to differentiate these characters. So I'm going to draw a swirly nose and a swirly nose is just going to be the thing that it is, you know? And sometimes I, I think about when translating something to television, especially when it's on Disney and it's this huge budget, sometimes we lose touch with those limitations. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The limitations Mm -hmm. that make expression like so specific. And we love the television show. We, we super love it. We devoured it. But you you get the impression that the show also is aware of that. Yeah. 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 So is there a question there? No, I'm just, now I'm just telling you my thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there are definitely limitations for the television show too. They're just different. And they're, they're not limitations that I, as a cartoonist was familiar with. One of my favorite parts of, um, getting to be a part of this process is I got to get a close-up look at how storytellers in this other medium work, right? And, you know, over the last three years, uh, I've become pretty good friends with Kelvin Yu, who's the showrunner. He's a, an amazing guy, um, incredibly talented. So he's both an actor and a screenwriter. As an actor, he played Aziz Ansari's best friend in Master of None. And then as a screenwriter, he kind of cut his teeth on Bob's Burgers. So he's been with Bob's Burgers since season one. Um, And a lot of like your favorite episodes were probably written by Kelvin Yu. Well, that Bob's Burgers energy is definitely in the series. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we get so precious about adaptations because we we love the original so much. And uh, I remember being at New York Comic Con and Lisa and I going like, well, I mean, it looks pretty good, but I don't know. Can they do the comic? And then we watch the show and we absolutely love it. Yeah, there's some things that I just don't think, like I, I'd been told, you know, since the book came out that it was unadaptable. Right. Because um, there are pieces of it that just would not work in live action, especially. Uh, so when we started working on the adaptation, we knew that it was going to be very different. We knew that, like, I, I, I would say like in the same way, you know, with Bob's Burgers, um, there are things that the characters say and do that they can get away with simply mm-hmm. because they're drawings, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas totally. if you had like a live action Bob's Burgers and they did those same things, it would be like a complete turn off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'd step yeah, yeah, you'd yeah, yeah, step yeah. out really, really quickly. Yeah, you really would. So, so there had to be that understanding. There are things that cartoons can do on a page that live actors cannot do on a screen. So you have to take those same emotions and try to express them in a One different way. One huge differentiation for me between the comic and the television show is the character of i'm gonna mispronounce it because i learned it from reading um Yotsu, he who is uh-huh, uh-huh. is in the original book but he's not in the television show and what i find so fascinating about that character in the book is that like he himself is an amalgamation of so many stories right. can you talk a little bit about that yeah character for yeah you? yeah absolutely um so Ziyotsu in the book um, is a uh, like a Chineseified representation of the Judeo-Christian God. Mm-hmm. So the 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 Monkey King legend was originally written down in this text called Journey to the West, 500 years ago. It's considered one of the uh, foundational texts of Chinese literature. Really, really big deal in Asia, and it's also a Buddhist text. Like Buddha actually shows up as a character in the book. Um, a lot of people think that it's Buddhist propaganda against Taoism. Because if you read the original book, you know, the the Monkey King and his friends are like constantly peeing on Taoist sculptures and like Taoist temples and that sort of thing. But in American born Chinese, um, it's a 
it's a pretty personal story. And um, I was raised within a Chinese American Catholic church. Uh, I'm still a practicing Catholic. And, and I feel like the ways in which Chinese culture and Catholic faith kind of fused together was unique. And it was also like a foundational part of who I was. So the, the, um, the version of the Monkey King story in the book is just my own. You know, it com- comes out of like my childhood growing up in that church. Uh, when we made the jump to the television show, I talked to Kelvin a lot about that piece, you know, because it's, it's a controversial piece. People push back on it. And I get why, right? I get why, because it's different from the original. And then uh, and we were debating. We were debating whether we should cleave a little closer to the original journey to the West or kind of present the mythology the way it is in American Born Chinese, the book. And ultimately, I think the dividing line was a conversation that I had with Michelle Yeoh on the very first day mm. of filming. You know, on the very first day of filming, um, she and I had a 10-minute conversation. She's amazing. She's like so down to earth, especially given what a star she is. She's mm. so down to earth. She's like everybody's favorite auntie. That's that's how she comes across. And she told me, she's a practicing Buddhist. And she told me about how important um, Journey to the West is to her and her, her own character too, Guan Ying, is to her. Um, and after that conversation, Kelvin and I talked and we're like, we, we have to, we have to cleave closer to the original journey to the West because of that. And, and I think, I think that's like, I actually think that that that's an, it points to another difference between comics and television, right? The, the, a comic can, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to make a comic, but it can still be handled by a single creator. Right. Right. Every line, every word can come out of a single creator's pen. So it can be very, very personal. Right. But then uh, when you're working on a television show, it's so labor intensive. There's no way a single human being can do it. You need an entire group of people. So it's sort of an expression of a group as opposed to an individual. And I think um, making changes to a classic text like Journey to the West, it reads differently. when you're in a in a intimate medium like a comic versus a more um, collaborative medium like a television show. Yeah, you know, I was paying very close attention to the reaction towards the show after it came out because I was curious to see how people would react to some of these changes. And I was like pleasantly surprised by how overwhelmingly positive readers of the comic reacted to the show myself included and i do think like one of the reasons why it's a very superficial thing but in the show you still celebrate comics Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) like i'm always like looking in the back of the room and you're like okay (laughs) funeral for a friend death of a superman rad oh swamp thing okay Uh, a lot of dc stuff you send love to mike perkins in that show like it's just so like joyous like how can we as comic book fans not love the obvious love that's in the show too. Yeah, yeah. That wasn't just me too. There are a lot of comic book fans. I imagine. Who are in the writer's room, who are working on set, all of it, yeah. You know, we talked about early in our conversation, like the spine of the story, like what is the spine of the story? To me, the heart of American-born Chinese is the, allow, like allowing a story to come in, uh, to shape you and like mm-hmm. using stories mm-hmm. to differentiate, oh, who who am I and who am I not? You know, and I feel like that still comes through through the television yeah, show, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which I really just really appreciate. E- e- even 
even with all of these differences where I'm going like, I would have loved to see this and I would have loved to see that, you know, <laughs> I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. I, I think that's right. I think that's right. That it's, a lot of it is about the power of story. But now it's out in the world and it's something that you never possibly could have imagined. And now it's a little bit in your past. You know, right. what what is that emotional experience like? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, I'm still trying to process it. We're, uh, we we had a really intense May. We we went all over. We did a premiere in New York. We did another one in um, in San Francisco, and then a, a smaller one in LA. We got to go to the White House uh, as part of their um, Asian American Heritage Month celebration. All of that has been really stunning. So I don't know if I've had like time to kind of reflect on it. <laughs> Mm. The other the other problem is that I fell really far behind on all my deadlines. So I'm trying to catch <laughs> up right now, right? So I haven't had the time to like have have a breather. Um yeah, I'm hopefully I'll catch up on my deadlines before the end of the month. You know, as being a creator who often explores themselves in a biocomic kind of way, do you see the stories you're living right now in this adaptation process feeding into future comics work? Yeah, what you know, when I started this, um, my Marvel editor, Darren Shand, suggested I read um Ryan Bendis's book. What is it? Yeah, Fortune and Glory. Fortune. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was great. It was amazing. Uh, I really loved it. Yeah, maybe, maybe. There, there's uh there are lots of things about I, I feel like um getting getting this up close look at television has made me reflect on comics in a different way as well. Yeah. You know, that's the answer I was looking for. I didn't yeah. want, you know, you to go a Hollywood on us <laughs> and leave the media behind. But you have so much out there right now that you're working on. Yeah. It's extremely impressive. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And as long we... as I hit those deadlines. You know, the the comics themselves are, are a reflection on life and then a reflection on a reflection on a reflection. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah now, uh, before we get out of here, I want to drop one more name. OK. <laughs> we were having a conversation with Mark Wade about Lazarus Planet. Oh, yeah. And yeah. we were all talking about how awesome Monkey Prince is and how great it is to see Monkey Prince out in the DC universe world beyond the solo title. Yeah. And yeah. can you just, you know, again, reflect a little bit about having that character being written by other writers out in the broader uh, universe, DC universe. Yeah. yeah. It's been, that's been so fun. Um, I was a fan of Mark Wade for forever before getting to work with him, you know, just in a small way, but it was so fun to work with him on Lazarus planet uh, to see how he breaks down a story uh, to see how he approaches character, all of that was awesome. And then Monkey Prince in particular, you know, he he kind of began uh, from a conversation that I had with Jessica Chan, who's an editor at DC, and uh, and Bernard Chang, who's like this, you know, you know Bernard it, Chang, amazing superstar, yeah. superstar uh, comic book illustrator, Second Life of Doctor Mirage, yeah, yeah, love it. yeah, you love right? it. amazing. Yeah. He drew that when he was like nineteen. I know, I couldn't believe those it. bodies are so hard. I know, unreal, <laughs> unreal. But uh, mythology has always been an important part of our two big superhero universes. So to get to bring Chinese mythology into the DC universe in this really, you know, like a like vibrant way was a ton of fun. I'm just I'm really thankful that DC let us do that. And uh, and it's really fun. It's really fun to see characters that we create kind of take a life of their own under the pen of other creators right now. Um, you know, I, I did a book called New Superman for DC uh, 
during the rebirth era. And some of those characters, like the the Batman of China, are showing up in other books. And that's been incredible to see. Or like, yeah, like uh like New Superman himself is in action right now. So it's, yeah, been great. it's wild. It's awesome. Yeah. So cool. I think all literature should work that way. <laughs> and I and I think yeah. that Jesus should be in Journey to the West. Now. Alan Moore agrees with you. Alan Moore agrees with yes, you. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. <laughs> Gene, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. It's been so much fun. Uh, we've we've dreamed about this chat for a long time. We're such so, huge fans. Yeah, thank you for honoring us. Well, thank you both. No, this was great. This was so fun. Thank you for having me on. Gene Lewin Yang, there you go. What a great conversation. Our thanks to Gene Lewin Yang. Our thanks to Disney Plus for setting up that conversation. Of course we wanted more time with Gene. We could have done five hours, no problem. I would have loved to have trapped him in our Zoom room, <laughs> but we had to send him back out into his life. He's a busy and important person. He's gone TV. <laughs> oh man, like, when we, we, like we, we struggled to get monkey prints into the chat at the end. Yeah. Talk a little Lazarus planet, drop a little names. Uh, and man, I I would love to talk to Gene about monkey prints at some point yeah. in the future. Uh, but, oh, I, you know, I can't complain about this chat about American-born Chinese. So did you hear it? Did, did you hear what? Did you hear when Brad got on his steamroller <laughs> and steamrolled right over my leading questions? Uh, I mean, I, it does have to do with your agenda. And... There was a point when you were talking about, you know, the Christian God as it's experienced in the graphic novel and why that character is not in the series. And I misinterpreted your let's keep, I want to keep going the projector reel yeah. motion, which you've always had trouble with, <laughs> as we established in the intro. And <laughs> I, I felt a tap or I thought I had felt a tap. And so I moved on to my set of questions. Right. And, and, and I, I, I know that I've frustrated you and we probably could have kept talking on your subject. Uh, and I, for that, I apologize, Lisa. I, it's but really again, we were so excited. We were so anxious to talk to Gene Lewin Yang. And when you have only 20 minutes and such a, like a, yeah. a like a, a sensitive subject as religion, yeah. like I was like, I was like looking for like any opening, but like right before getting on this conversation, I found a really interesting in-depth interview with Gene Lewin Yang about like how he was brought up in the Catholic church because he refers to himself specifically as a Roman Catholic, which is the same right I was raised in. And Catholicism, if you don't know, is like all about the prescription. It shouldn't matter where you go in the country, if you go to, or in the world, if you go to a Roman right church, you know the parts of the mass, everybody's saying the exact same thing. Just by being Chinese and uh, and being raised in a church where a lot of the priests had come out of re-education camps in China, he had this completely separate Roman Rite experience than me. And the way that the Christian God is introduced into American-born Chinese, it expresses like the, there are many ways to the top of the mountain kind of idea, which right. I which I'm, find myself kind of leaning into. But you as a child couldn't imagine that no. as a possibility. No, because there's this idea of heresy and heresy is really scary. So if you do something wrong, you know, even if you don't know, you might be doing something heretical and God's going to be mad at you, <laughs> you know? And and um, there's just that amazing scene where the monkey prince accidentally pees on God's finger and God laughs 
You know what I it's mean? Such it's a so good beautiful. Scene. It's maybe my favorite scene in the entire graphic novel. But I also found it interesting how Jean was having this conversation with Michelle Yeoh and talking about her faith and the importance of playing that character as she knew it and why that didn't necessarily align with the depictions of the Christian God entering the story in the graphic novel. Right, right. And it goes back to Jean talking about how cartooning and putting out a comic is such like a personal thing and putting out a TV show is such a collective thing. Yeah, it's the difference between the singular work and the collaborative work. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I hope you all enjoyed this conversation with Jean Lu and Yang. Please share this episode with all your friends, with all your strangers on all your social media feeds. And if you're one of those friends or strangers who came here on somebody else's recommendation, welcome. Welcome. So what's coming up next on Comic Book Couples Counseling? We have a very special episode on My Adventures with Superman, yeah. the new Adult Swim series. It's so cute! It's so cute, Lisa and I. Ooh, are we allowed to talk about it just yet? We're not allowed to talk about it just yet. I've heard it could be cute. <laughs> I, I've heard I it's cute. I have my suspicions. I hear it's real good. Uh, but we've had a, we, we've seen the first seven episodes. We're going to do an episode about those first seven episodes, and it's going to include conversations with the producer Producers, as well as the voice cast, Alice Lee playing Lois Lane and Ishmael Saheed playing Jimmy Olsen. And yeah, we can't talk about if we liked it or not, but we are covering it on Comic Book Couples Counseling and it is very much a Comic Book Couples Counseling series. Yes, and that's not a review. That's no, just facts. That's just facts. And, you know, it is a show. You can see it in the trailer. It's all about relationships. Yeah. And at the center are Clark Lois and Jimmy. And then above those three is the concept of Superman. Mm. Like my adventures with Superman. Who's the my? Who's the my? It could be Lois. It could be Jimmy. It could be Clark. It could be you. I love it. I love it. Oh, oh, I'm getting into a review. Getting into a review. I'm stopping. I'm stopping. I'm stopping. Yeah. We're moving on. After that, we are going to release our final counseling session with Mark and Eve from Invincible. We are discussing the final two trade paperbacks in that Robert Kirkman and Ryan Otley series, The End of All Things. And again, Lisa has never read The End of Invincible. She's I read still everything haven't. up to it. She still hasn't. <laughs> Lisa, are you nervous? Are you nervous for Mark and Eve? Um. Yeah. yeah. I already thought they've died so many times. <laughs> I'm so excited for that final counseling session on Mark and Eve. Be on the lookout. Okay, Brad, I have actually changed my mind. I don't want to be a Transformer when I oh. grow up. Why would I want to put the beauty that is me in disguise? <laughs> to be a truck of all things. A truck. Where can our listeners send the words of affirmation to you? You can be other things as a Transformer. You could be a jet. You could be a gun. You could be all <laughs> kinds of things. You could be an ape. You know, I, Beast Wars, Rise of the Beast. I think I just want to be myself. Okay, that's that's probably for the best. Uh, send all your words of affirmation to at MouthDork. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at a cool hand fluke. If you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art and show poster, send them to Karen Charm at Karen underscore X Men fan. 
Lisa, where yes. can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Stitcher, YouTube, Google, and Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to get exclusive, you can join our Patreon, where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes. We are starting the final arc of the original Sandman series over on our Patreon series. One episode at a time, one issue at a time. The Wake, Sandman number 70. Be on the lookout for that. I can't believe we've done almost 75 episodes of Sandman on the Patreon. And it's been so fun. Yeah. If you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com, or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at cbccpodcast. You can give us the gift of five stars on Apple Podcasts, and if you'd like to do an act of service, why not write a review of the show while you're there? Yes, please. We are fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod. So until next time, friends, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. chair is so squishy, Lisa. You know what? I'm sitting in, in a young man's chair. It's very uncomfortable yeah, for it's my like young man's body. Pure concrete. <laughs>